You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fatalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So a little bit of an extra long intro, uh, a couple different reasons. Number one, I'm just trying to find the right spot to slide in. But also, I don't know, we might be taking a break for a while. I know you guys like it, but um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I wanted to go out with a bang if we are, in fact, going out. Um, I really really like the Isley Brothers, but I didn't realize that this might be the most talented band in the history of the world. I just recently discovered the Isley Brothers. It's weird because I'm probably taking the story back too far. First, I remember even really hearing about them, even though, I, of course, I knew their name. My buddy in college mentioned his dad loved the Isley Brothers. I'm like, oh, that's like some really old band I'm not really into, like doo-wop type stuff or something, you know what I mean? Or, or like the, I don't know, I just, I just like, I don't think I like them. Then I heard this kind of music, and I'm like, this is amazing. I love this. This genre. I keep digging in, and I keep finding different songs that sound very different. I just want to try really quickly to take you through some of the range of the Isley Brothers that spans from 1959 to 2017. I'm not going to go all the way to 2017 because I listened to that one. It just kind of sounds like kind of like their old stuff. The, the point is, though, their ability to adapt to the style of music, to play completely different styles of music, and to be dominant in those styles of music. I'm not just talking about, like, Metallica mixing it up a little bit. And Metallica's, I mean, they spanned a decent range, but they didn't change all that much. They went from more, like, heavy, thrashy, screamy stuff to more, I don't know, I don't know the terminology, but it's still within, this is a very, very different. So that's what I know about the Isley Brothers. I just looked into it because, again, I heard a couple different things, and I'm like, oh, they, they got to... Dude, it goes way deeper than I thought. So this is from their first album called Shout. Let me know if you know the, the song. That was in their first album. Did that ring a bell? 
The second album is called Twist and Shout. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you at all. But then they transition a little bit. It's kind of like a halfway between what I played you and that stuff. It's not as doo-woppy or whatever you call it. I don't, I don't know what they're called. But you get this kind of music. Then we've got, um, I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but here you go. So kind of like a little bit more funk, right? That's their eighth album, their eighth album, that was, in 1970. Then if you fast forward two years and two more albums, so this would be their tenth album, you get into sort of that, uh, like the Marvin Gaye kind of era. Right, with that kind of stuff. Then if we skip ahead, let's see, to 1976, so this is, jeez, um, their 14th album. That's that's the music that I was talking about, Harvest for the World. That's what that intro music was. That's the stuff that I, that's what I like from Isley Brothers. Then if we fast forward to the 80s, and I'm probably even skipping some nuance here, and actually, I think this is 1979. The album is Winner Takes All, so that would be, jeez, I don't know. They're 17th, but you get a distinct 80s sound. So it's got a little bit of the soul, it's got a little bit of the funk, but now we're bringing in some synthesizers. Now, you probably noticed that that song in the intro... Um, was sampled by rappers. There's a lot of Isley Brothers songs that rappers sample because the Isley Brothers are amazing. Here's another song that I really like that I didn't realize was from a completely different era, but it makes sense because it's a very different style of, of music. Biggie sampled this song to all the ladies in the place with style and grace. This is an Isley Brothers song. By the way, if you want to know where rappers get their songs from, just listen to the Isley Brothers. Right, so now they got that. Remember, we came from Twist and Shout, and now we're all the way to, like, sensual healing type stuff in the 80s. By the way, that is uh, Between the Sheets, uh, their 22nd album. 22nd. Anyways, I'm going to skip to the last one here, because this is taking forever, but I just, I, I have to do this. There's another song that I really, really like of theirs, and it cracks me up because it seems so different. But again, I didn't realize the whole spectrum. I was just like, they got a lot of crazy songs. This is from 2001. This album had R. Kelly and a bunch of other people working on it. This is a very, very good... I, I like this song. It's not like they're just trying it, but they suck at it. But, you know, like Twist and Shout is your thing, and it's nice that you're dabbling, but you're not really good at it. This isn't your thing. They're good at this. Like, this song came out in 2001, and it's like, this is a good song. It's got 90 million views. It's the Isley Brothers. They're like 90 years old. Here you go. It's too that's the twist and shout guy <laughs> this i'm i'm just saying and, and that was 2001 they got one that came out in 2017 they're not even done yet 2017 they came out with power of peace obviously they worked with uh, santana that would be their 32nd album. 
They have 32 albums right now. So, anyways, Isley Brothers are a phenomenal band, and apparently I have just scratched the surface of what they have done. They, they've got to have hundreds of songs, so I don't know. Anyways, today's going to be a fun day. For those of you that uh, decided not to turn the show off, uh, it was a good decision because we got some stuff to talk about. Um, why don't we... Let's see if this works first before I make any promises that I can't back up. All right, it works. Um, I want to start off with OTAs. Um, not a massive amount to talk about, but there were OTAs. I believe this is day two, but it's the first day that we had or the uh, members of Le Media or the public were able to check it out. So fortunately, we got the Andy Herman and the rest of the crew out there uh, live tweeting what's going on, giving us a little bit of insight, which is always nice, always appreciated. But there were several people that didn't show up today, and um, the surprising thing was pretty much the entire group of wide receivers didn't show up. Um, the total list, I believe, is Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, and this is, by the way, this is guys that we didn't see, so it's possible they're either there or, because um, some of the guys, you know, they were in the Hudson Center getting worked on, and then they came out later, so it's possible they were there, they just, we didn't see them, but Rodgers, Devontae, Bakhtiari, Jair, Lazard, MVS, Funchess, Bortles, although we did see Bortles, he came out, he's one of those guys, Equinemius, uh, Kadar, and Stanford Samuels are all the guys that we did not see. With those guys, if we look at the, the bonuses that have been set up, um, the guys that did not collect their bonus, we're not sure about David Bakhtiari. Aaron Rodgers lost out on $500,000. Devontae Adams lost out on $500,000. And Devin Funches forfeited $50,000. Um, I don't want to read too much into this, but I do think that there's something going on, not necessarily pertaining to Rodgers, but um, either Rodgers or possibly just the fact that a lot of NFL players are trying to, I guess, take a stand against um, work. I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't get it, man. I, I, it's, it's whatever. I don't really understand their position. They have a position, whatever. I just I have I just struggle with the whole. Hey guys, I'd like it if you come into work and oh, we're gonna we're gonna stand up for our right to not have to go to work. Like, that's not really a right, but okay. But anyways, so that's that's the thing that a lot of players are doing, and the, the union is real big on it. So it, it, the fact that it's almost all the wide receivers leads me to believe that that's sort of a show of solidarity, especially since the only guys that showed up is the rookie and then the lower level, like the very lower level guys. Um, that sort of tells me that they had to kind of break rank because they know if they don't show up, they're getting caught. Now, with that said, um, as JJ pointed out, this is very risky waters which by the way is why i don't really like especially with this a lot of this union stuff it's always meant to be like the little guy against the big guy but at least as far as the nfl it's always the big guys that are players against the big guys in that are you know owners of the teams or whatever and the guys that get raked under the coals are the little guys right it's like you know the union is going to stand up for the little guy no you don't you stand up for the aaron Rodgers, the Devonte adams the david bakhtiari's and you're trying to get a show of solidarity with these other guys who need to be there. And now that they followed your lead, there's a good chance they're about to get cut. Because the Packers are going to look at it and say, okay, you are a, are a bubble guy. You're pretty much one foot out the door as it is. You're not going to show up. Okay, looks like you just lost your job to somebody that showed up. Specifically looking at Stanford Samuels. What in the world are you doing? I mean, forget the fact that these guys should all be there. Right. Okay. Rogers. He already gets. It. He, he's not going to get much out of it. Fine. Devonte. He's going to be fine without it. Fine. David Bakhtiari obviously is injured. Jair. I guess he's number one in the league. He'll be fine. 
Lazard and MVS are kind of iffy. I guess they can get all cocky and arrogant because they know they're not getting cut, but eh, I don't know. Devin has got two years of rust to, to, to uh, bust off. He gave up $50,000 to continue his two-and-a-half-year vacation. I mean, give me a break. Equinemius, as far as I'm concerned, is a bubble guy. I, he could be cut tomorrow, and it would not surprise me. Kadar Holman, they probably want to give more opportunities, but, you know, we're getting... It's getting iffy. Why can't you show up? I mean, do whatever you want, but just understand that you're joining the ranks of these guys that are... Again, they're saying they're standing up for the little guy. They're not. It's easy to stand up, quote-unquote, for the little guy when the little guy means you, the guy's on top, and you know you're not going to get cut over this. It's easy for Devontae to stand up on a pedestal and say, hey, guys, follow me. We're going to show them. We're going to get the... Yeah, because you're, you're... First of all, you're set for life. Stanford Samuels is not. If he gets cut and out of the league, he has to go get a job. Devontae does not. He's, he's set for life. And that's before this massive extension or this massive contract that's going to be coming his way from somebody. So I think that's reckless and irresponsible for a guy like Devontae to... And maybe he didn't. I don't know. I'm just saying if that happens, and I know it does because I hear it all the time. Anytime there's this, you know, we need to be... There needs to be this solidarity. It's always the guys on top that are telling the whole group there needs to be the solidarity, but the guys that should not be listening are the guys on the bottom. But they do. Some of them do. They follow suit, and they're going to end up... I mean, it's, it's not worth... It's not worth your career. That's all I'm saying. You need to show up. Funstis should show up. He's probably fine financially, but he probably should if he cared about, you know, getting back into it. Apparently, the rumor is he's on vacation in Hawaii, so whatever. I mean, Rodgers is holding out, so I actually have more understanding for Rodgers than I do Funchess. He's, he's telling the Packers he's not coming back. He's waiting for some kind of a resolution. Funchess is supposedly coming back. All right, dude, it's time for work. We're working now. New scheme, new year. You got to get back in shape. You got to understand what we do here. You got to maybe hang out with the coaches for a day. Nah, I'm 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 gonna go to the beach. All right, dude. Whatever. So stupid. I just I hate that stuff. But there you go. Everybody else um, seemingly showed up. Kenny Clark was not very inspiring. It's like, so what caused you to show up? He's like, I got money on the line, dude. <laughs> I, I guess makes sense to me. I don't know. I was hoping he'd be like, cause I want to be here with my, you know, just lie to me. Just that's all I want. I want to be here with my crew, man. I want to I want to be here for the fans. I want to I want to show coach. I want to blah blah blah. Nah. I'll, I'll also throw this out there. It seems as though there's a different vibe, and it, we'll have to keep an eye on this. But it is worrying me a little bit, and not just the the what's going to happen with Devonte, but you know when you listen to over the years, you know like when Mike Pettin showed up, man, they were all Mike Daniels and all these guys. They were fired up. Mike Pettin's great, and it's going to be awesome, and we're fired up. It's going to be amazing. I love Coach Lafleur, and you know we're we're just trying to get this next. They're all you listen to Amos, you listen to uh, Kenny, you listen to all these guys. They're just like going through the motion. I'm just I'm just saying it was like a weird vibe. Like there's there's not a whole lot of passion. It almost seems like Aaron Rodgers, if his goal was to kind of get the Packers on their heels and kind of rip down the veil, you know, of who's in charge. You, you had Amos with his tweet of you. Sometimes you got to show him who's in charge. It just, it just, it gave me a weird, weird vibe. Like, nobody seems, like, super fired up, and that made me nervous. Like, they asked him about the new defensive coordinator. He's like, yeah, dude, it's fine. You know, he's just, it's pretty basic. It's whatever. Amos, what did you think about the, all the, oh, yeah, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. It's just football. It's like, that's not, that's not what I was hoping for. But all right, all right. Well, I'm sure we'll start getting excited at some point here. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like Rodgers turned on him, and the team kind of groveled, and they're begging for him to come back, and suddenly the, the power dynamic shifted. Now the players are in control. 
I don't think you're supposed to say inmates run the asylum, but it's a stupid rule, so I'm going to say it. It kind of has that feel to it. Like when they noticed, when they realized the people in charge no longer have any power and there's no respect. I'm just, I don't know. I'll, I'll stop talking because it's probably made up, but it just, it just had a weird, it's just a weird vibe. Go watch the videos and see for yourself. See if you got that same vibe. Maybe they're just tired because they were working out for an hour, hour and a half. I don't know. Um, reports on Jordan Love. According to Matt LaFleur, if you listen to him, he said he's very clear that things had changed uh, for the positive, that he's been doing a lot of work. The ball just really rips off his hand. Um, I didn't really see anything negative. There was a whole bunch of clunky stuff the last time we watched him, which was obviously just a very small glimpse. But, you know, again, the whole footwork was off and uh, like he just looked awkward when he was throwing and he kept missing the nets. He hit everything. I mean, he, he looked smooth. He looked sharp. He looked fast. He hit everything. Um, a lot of the, there was a lot of other subjective opinions, um, as far as sort of up and down. He did take one deep shot down the field and overthrew Reggie Bagleton. That was the only like seven on seven rep that I knew of. Apparently, according to Rob Domofsky, he was seven of 10, most short to intermediate passes. But, um, I, I think it's, it's better news than last year. That's for sure. And it, and it's one of those things too, where you, you know what coach speak sounds like, and you could see Matt LaFleur kind of light up and very emphatically say Jordan Love looks a lot better he's definitely been doing some work I I believe him when he says that Um, as far as receivers they had uh, Malik Taylor Reggie Begleton and Amari Rogers in three wide receiver sets I don't I'm guessing that's just (laughs) because that's pretty much all they had but we'll have to see I mean again Equinemius you know maybe there was a chance that if he was here he was gonna we were just gonna roll with the same guys who knows maybe uh Reggie Reggie or Malik or something gets the nod, especially with Amari here. Obviously, he's going to be... That's the other thing. You know Amari's going to take somebody's job. Malik and Reggie aren't really on the roster necessarily as far as, like, regular starters. So whose job are they taking? It's going to be somebody who decided not to show up, presumably. Uh, Only had two notes on Amari Rogers. Um, I think it's Herman who says Amari is so smooth after after the catch, which is one of the things he's known for. Um, the other note on him says, Love and Amari not on the same page. Matt LaFleur gives some coaching to the rookie wideout after the play. Looked like Rodgers stopped his route. So he's still learning. And, and again, it's it's important to remember, this is why we don't usually see rookies instantly, right? They're going to get a lot of work right now, but it's real simple stuff. Like, he doesn't know how to run the route. Like, why did you stop? What are you doing? This is basic one. As far as being a professional Green Bay Packer, like Devontae could do this kind of stuff in his sleep. Amari is, he does, he has, he, again, it's basic, basic, basic stuff. And no, it doesn't mean he's bad. He just has to start from the fundamentals and getting this guy up to speed and ready to be a NFL caliber wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers in week one isn't necessarily a guarantee. He's going to play a little, but getting him to the spot where it's like, he's the number two, he's going to, we'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm excited for him. We'll see how it goes. Obviously you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a PhD to be able to get on the field and be productive. That takes time. You can you can do some work in in the in the meantime. I said that about AJ Dillon last year. I think he just kind of fumbled his way and not actually fumbled, obviously, but to all that production. I, I don't think he was out there because he didn't really know what he was doing. But at the end of the day, running running is running. He knows how to play football, and so he he maybe doesn't understand every little nuance and every little this that or the other and all the checks that Rodgers might be doing. But at the end of the day. Aaron Rodgers is going to put that thing right in his belly, and he's just going to run forward, and he got some production out of it. And I think we might at least get that out of Amari Rodgers, hopefully a little bit more than that. Um, running backs, I'm just going in order of how I have it listed, so there's kind of jumping back and forth here. But 
Um, Lily Zhao says, this will be a stacked backfield. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Kylan Hill, Dexter Williams, all here. There's also a note on Dexter, which I'll just mention now. Apparently, he looks really leaned out, which is going to be kind of fun because one of the biggest things that I think I really liked about Dexter is how quick he looks. And so if he's leaning out, maybe you get a little bit even more of that quick aspect and you get him the ball and he can kind of fly to the edge. I mean, it could be kind of a fun thing. I've always liked Dexter. I don't really have super high hopes for him, but he's got a great opportunity right now because it's Aaron Jones, it's A.J. Dillon, and his only real competition for that number three spot, which is a prominent position for the Green Bay Packers, is Kylan Hill, who's a seventh-round rookie. So, I mean, there's, there's legitimate work available to Dexter this year, and I'm excited to see what he can do with that. Um, some pretty cool news for the offensive line, obviously, because when they line up for 7-on-7 seven seven and whatnot, we get to see what the first team looks like. As of right now, and of course this is subject to change, but you have Elton Jenkins at left tackle, you have John Runyon at left guard, you have rookie Myers, our second-round pick at center, you have Patrick at right guard, and you have Turner at right tackle. That's, I don't want to say exactly as we expected it to be, but it was some combination of that we expected it to be. I am excited to see Myers getting first crack because generally speaking, you're going to let somebody else do that. Now, I don't, you don't really have a whole lot of other options at, at center anyway, but the fact that they're putting him out there day one um, really speaks to the fact that there's a very good chance that he's going to be starting. And, and I had mentioned that as far as making the biggest impact, it's hard to gauge center. But, you know, if there's a guy that's going to play from week one all the way through to the end of the season and be productive, even albeit sort of under the radar, Myers makes the most sense. There's a job just waiting and ready for him. Now, things could possibly get shaken up a little bit depending on how good of a player Myers really is and what happens when Bakhtiari comes back. If we have some really good guards and tackle, maybe Jenkins at center is the best possible position. I don't know. But it was just kind of a vote of confidence that Myers is there because they generally are not shy about saying you have to earn your way into that number one spot. Uh, Royce Newman also did get some starting reps with the number ones at right guard, so there's already a seemingly a competition. I mean, there's always competitions at uh, along the offensive line and all across the the uh, the team, obviously. But it seems like the one to keep an eye on right now is going to be right guard between um, Royce Newman and Lucas Patrick. And look, they, they, they have to figure out, I mean, Royce is going to take snaps at tackle. He's going to take snaps at along the left side of the line. They're going to, a lot of these guys are going to be trying different spots to see where they fit best and what the best combination is. But as of right now, that seems to be their biggest sort of question mark as far as what do we do with this? And they wanted to get a look at Royce Newman at right guard. Uh, Josiah DeGuara was back to practice, which is cool. Um, obviously, as you know, I'm a big Josiah DeGuara fan. Very excited about the dynamic he brings to the team. It sounds like he is still working with the trainers on the sideline, so he's still working through some stuff as far as injuries, but it's a good sign that he's out there and he's got his, I don't say pads on because I don't think anybody wore pads, but you know, he's got his shorts and shirt and whatnot. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that he'll be, he'll be ready to go in due time defensively we got our first glimpse and and defense is always hard to pin down it's not like offensive line where it just kind of stays one way they they change so many things but um this is via andy herman he says looks like it could be amos and barnes in the box in nickel with savage and redmond at safety um and he goes on to say as i said that's at least that's one of the early looks here now amos back at safety and summers at linebacker so again, they're trying lots of different stuff. Plus, based on the different packages, it's hard to tell. Is this what you want to do full-time? Is this just a package that you're thinking about? Is this just something you're trying? It's just, it's it's hard to really unpack. But I will say, that's very different than what we're used to seeing if that is sort of the plan. 
And it would also go to what a lot of people were saying about the possible need for the Packers to go get a safety. I had talked about it a little bit in the as far as the draft. If they're putting Amos in the box a lot, it would sort of lend itself to the idea that maybe the Packers were kind of looking at safety as an option in the draft and, and could possibly want to add a third safety if that opportunity presents itself. Um, again, kind of hard to gauge, but seemingly Chris Barnes right now is uh, ILB1. In other words, he's sort of the, the top linebacker right now, which is what I expected. Again, I'm not a huge fan, but I think the Packers really liked him. He obviously has the athleticism more so than Kamal Martin does, as much as I like Kamal, and I think he's a better linebacker. I don't think he's as versatile, which in today's NFL, I think that's kind of a must. It's sort of like a running back who's just good at running the football. As much as you might be a dominant runner, you're going to get pulled a lot because we need a guy that can block and that can catch and that can do all these other things, not just run the ball. Um, note about, uh, Ty Summers, just that he's extremely vocal and in command. He's obviously, I mean, he knows his position and, um, apparently he feels his best way on this team is leadership. So best of luck to him with that. But anyways, that's about all I got as far as what, uh, happened today at OTAs. But, um, anyways, why don't we take a break here? There's two big things I wanted to touch on and both of them kind of just got sent to me in the last, uh, couple hours or so. So appreciate Appreciate everybody reaching out and kind of getting the gears turning. Speaking of appreciation, thank you very much to John Hurd for jumping in on the Patreons. We are one step closer, and we are actually surprisingly on pace to um, get to the goal of 300 patrons. And again, if we can get there, we got uh, Packers tickets or one of these other things, whatever it is you are interested in. I'll be doing a giveaway. Um, like I said, it was, I think it was Goose that suggested it. And I was like, that seems like a stupid and unrealistic, uh, goal. And then as soon as I heard myself say that, I was like, that's exactly the kind of goal I like to go for. So we go big here. And, um, thanks to all of you for, uh, for supporting me. And I know most of you, it's not about the giveaways. It's just because you do what you want, but I really do appreciate that. Also remember, assuming this is posted the night before, you can listen to the podcast the night before, and it will be completely ad free. If I post it the day of, I don't bother to put it on Patreon, even though it would be ad-free. I just, you know, you'll be all right. So think it over, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. All right, so a couple things. What to start with here? Let's start with this. So JJ sent it to me, but it was Tyler Herrick that brought this up. And it really, it's one of those things where it's like, I had the two pieces and I just never put them together. And it's, it's, 
it's crazy because it, it blows my mind, but at the same time, it's like, ah, I, why didn't I put them together? Here's what he says. I feel like for a number of formative years in Aaron Rodgers' career, Ted Thompson's Packers kept a lot of people around longer than some teams might have because they were good people. Gutekunst came in, and one of his first moves was to unceremoniously release Jordy Nelson. He says, follow that up with Clay Matthews, quarterback coach, change, Randall Cobb, Jake Kumaro, the list goes on. It's easy to assume Rodgers is viewing this um, from the cultural lens that he was given when he showed up in Green Bay in 2005. 100 billion thousand million percent. And it just didn't dot. How many times, if you've been listening for a long time, I've referenced this. Mike McCarthy, and it, it, it infuriated me. In fact, I said this while he was still the head coach because you know I was doing the podcast back then. It was infuriating because even with the coaches in Green Bay, they never fired anybody. And the only way as a head or as a coach in Green Bay that you left is when you got a new job. So what happened was all the good coaches got hired away, and then you get to a point where there's no more good coaches, and they would always promote from within. And it's not to really dog the guys that are there, but you know there comes a point at which you need to hire from outside and you need to bring new guys in, get some new blood, get some talented veteran coaches in here to really get this thing going. But Mike McCarthy's just a good dude. And he liked to promote the guys that were there, give them opportunities. And again, I hate to keep using this terminology, but it was a very it was very much a union mentality. And understand, I'm a federal government employee, so it's, I'm not trying to, to trash it. I'm just saying there's a mentality here of once you get in, you're kind of tenured, you're one of the guys, and we're going to help you. It's, you know, it's not all about winning. It's also about taking care of people. And I want to take care of these guys, and I want to see them get promoted, and I want to see them do well. That was for the players, and it was also for the coaches. And so, again, we ended up with a bunch of guys that couldn't get hired away because they weren't good enough, and, and, and Matt, uh, Mike McCarthy would not fire them. Similarly, and, and Dom Caper, Capers was an example of that, not that he wouldn't get hired away, but he kind of just lost his edge. He wouldn't, they wouldn't fire him. Mike McCarthy kind of needed to go. They wouldn't fire him. Same with when you look at that, that how bad things got. I, I've referenced several times when HaHa Clinton Dix talked about the toxicity in the locker room was kind of the first time we'd ever heard of it. There were also veteran guys that kind of just ran the show. They showed up, they collected their check, and they went home. I think that was guys like Nick Perry and Clay Matthews in particular. There was no outside linebacker coach at the time. They didn't have a coach. There was a, I think there was like a defensive line coach and a, and a linebacker coach. They didn't have like a direct coach. I just think things were very laid back. They were very lax. There were a lot of guys that probably needed to go, and they just wouldn't let guys go. It, it, loyalty was one of the biggest things that the Packers were known for. And again, it's sort of that union. Once you get in, you're set. Now, of course, you're going to get let go at some point. You, you, you're not set for life in terms of like, we'll literally never let you go. You'll be here till you're 60 and you know we'll keep giving you contracts. But there was sort of that notion of keeping guys around a little bit longer. And I think that was more so with coaches than players. We did see them get rid of some players a little bit earlier, but there was definitely a very lax environment. And ultimately what had happened, and I, I again, I had laid this all out previously, Mark Murphy, I think, was kind of out there doing his own thing. And he let Ted Thompson do his thing. He let Mike McCarthy do his thing. And all these things were going on kind of behind the scenes. And I don't think Mark Murphy knew about it. Suddenly, and, 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 and you can get away with it when the team is winning. But the problem is it began to erode and erode and erode and erode until finally the bottom fell out. And when you got, you know, Aaron Rodgers kind of covers up a lot of the blemishes and they're still kind of winning, even though things are really getting bad. The defense is, is just becoming horrific. The offense is so unbelievably stagnant, but again, Aaron Rodgers pulls it out, especially with the talent of the wide receivers and all that. But eventually the bottom fell out, and I think Mark Murphy kind of turned around, 
and he looked at the at, at the way things were set up, and he realized that he has been he, that there's a bunch of guys loafing. And and you heard the reports about you know uh, McCarthy not going to meetings and doing all this other stuff, kind of loafing around. I think guys were kind of taking advantage of of the situation. There was no owner. There was nobody. There was no ultimate authority, and they slowly became more and more comfortable with relaxing a little bit. It's not to say they didn't show up and they didn't try and they didn't do their best, but it wasn't winning at all costs is the only thing that matters. Everybody else is just a number. It was we take care of people here, and if that's at the expense of winning, then so be it. And so what happened is, I'm so mad I didn't see this. Tyler, you're a genius and I hate you. Mark Murphy gets fed up. They gave Mike McCarthy a one-year contract, which I've mentioned before kind of surprised me. They, they basically put him on, a, on notice. They fired Dom Capers, said, you're out of here, goodbye. Fired a bunch of the coaches, told Mike McCarthy, you got one year to figure this out. Fired a bunch of guys from out from underneath him. Ted Thompson wasn't necessarily fired, but he stepped down. And I think if it wasn't for that, and I think that was some, somewhat out of respect, um, he would have been fired. Everybody was fired. Then they turn over to um, Brian Gutekunst, and as much as it was about him being a very good drafter, I think there was also a philosophical understanding. Um, Murphy and um, Gutekunst looked at this and said, we need to clean house. This needs to be an organization that's about winning at all costs. This needs to be about tear it down and rebuild it, and there needs to be a better culture here. Imagine that. They're talking more about culture. I wonder why. Maybe it's because there's a toxic culture that had brewed underneath this of guys kind of loafing and guys kind of getting comfortable and guys kind of, you know, it's, it's about quality of life and it's about all these different things. It's not all just about winning and hard work and just grinding all the time. And remember, Rodgers has been a part of this. Like he said, there's a culture that has been in here that Rodgers has been a part of for a very long time. And these guys show up, and they're just going to clean house, and they're just going to shut everybody down. And remember, there were a lot of players that got shipped off. It wasn't just his buddy. There were guys mid-season, like, like Ty Montgomery. He made a mistake. He was gone. There was what's-his-name. I, I, I can never remember his name, but I always bring him up. He slapped a guy. Mike McCarthy goes to the podium. He's like, ah, you know, it's no big deal. Dom Cape, uh, uh, Mike Pettin goes to the podium and is like, yeah, you know, it's always the second guy that gets caught. You know, They're acting like it's no big deal. What does Gutekunst do? He takes bull, the bull by the horns. He, he calls him into his office. He says, get out. He didn't consult the coaches. He says, get out. You're fired. If you're not going to follow instructions, Ty Montgomery, you're out of here. If you're going to slap somebody at a, at a critical moment in the game like that, you're out of here. They're cleaning house. No more. Zero tolerance. You're going to show up. You're going to do your job. You're going to shut your mouth. You're going to play football, and you're going to win, or you're not going to be here. It's a different culture, and Rodgers doesn't like it. What did he just say on TV? It's not just about all this stuff. or, or it, It's about the people. It's about taking care of people. Mike McCarthy understood it. To some degree, Ted Thompson understood it. And I think that's what he's referring to. I think things in Green Bay got way too relaxed. And now things are too militant, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the way that people are treated. He doesn't like that people are seen as expendable, that if you, you either show up and produce or you're gone. And, and a lot of those guys are gone. A lot of the guys that he, they don't even understand the culture. You got new guys who are coming in that have a different attitude because the Packers are specifically drafting these guys, young guys with energy and attitude, and they're ready to play and they're ready to show up. Right. And so when you got all these guys that are all these teams and these players that are saying, we're not going to show up, we're not going to go. The Packers are showing up. The Packers are going to go. The Packers are going to play. They're going to compete. These are good people. They're not going to show up and take advantage of the team. They're here to work. They're grateful. They want to compete. They want to win. They want to put in the work. That's not where Rodgers is at. He's not at that point. He spent all these years. Again, he works hard. 
He tries hard. He, he puts out a quality product. He's a talented guy. But he's not at a point in his life where some new guy's going to come in and boss him around and tell him what to do and, and get all snippy and start sending guys off and either you shape up or you ship out. And so he's like, you know what? And, and then when they drafted Jordan Love, he's like, you're doing it to me now. Like, I don't mean anything. Like, I'm part of the problem here because I'm part of that old crew. And I'm not going to put up with it. You're going to push me out? Forget you. I'm going to leave on my own terms. And what is he doing? He's just kicking back. Kicking back with his people out in Hawaii. Because that's where he's at right now. He still wants to compete. He still wants to win Super Bowls. He still wants to do all this stuff. But he's not a young man anymore. He's not a young guy with all this piss and vinegar. That's just about the grind and just about competing. As, as much as we, we try to draw the comparisons between him and Tom Brady, they're very different people. Tom bought into what they did in, in, in New England. Aaron Rodgers bought, bought into what they did in Green Bay under Mike McCarthy. They both adopted that, that leadership style. Ted, uh, Tom Brady took on Bill Belichick's attitude of just nonstop psychotic work and diligence and all this stuff. And he does that, he lives it, he eats it, he breathes it, and he expects it of everybody around him. Aaron Rodgers took on this culture that became very lax. And he likes it, and he lives it, and he expects it from the people around him. Again, this you, you can deny how whatever little specifics of this story you don't like, but the fact of the matter is, I think this is exactly right, and there's not a ton that you can deny. We know for a fact, based on what we've heard from a lot of different sources outside and inside, from players, from coaches, from reporters, that things were getting very lax, from the players to the coaches, etc. We know for a fact that Mark Murphy restructured the entire team after firing everybody, brought some new people in, and the, the attitude was clean house. Clean house. Since then, when they bring guys in, what's the number one focus for coaches and players alike? It's your attitude. It's your cult. It's the it's the kind of, of culture that you contribute to the Green Bay Packers. We're not going to allow that toxic, lazy, that entitled mentality to fester here in Green Bay. And to be completely honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers do want Aaron Rodgers out. But they can't because he's too good. And not just because, well, he's getting older and he's not as talented anymore, because he still embodies that. And he is a leader of this football team, and it's hard to fully take over this new, this new direction with Aaron Rodgers at the top saying, I don't do things that way, and you're not going to tell me to do things that way. I do things on my terms. I think I, I just, it, just, it just fits together perfectly. When you listen to what Aaron Rodgers has said, I, I think that's what it is. And you listen to how much he hates, you know, Gutekunst to Murphy, and maybe hate is a strong word, but I think that's what it is. They came in and ruined what Aaron Rodgers liked. And the fact of the matter is, he's wrong. We Look at how bad things got. Things needed to be cleaned up. There needed to be more structure and more discipline. And that happens to every team. I've talked about that on this podcast all the time. Things always either get too lax, and then you got to bring in a disciplinarian, or guys stop responding to the disciplinarians, and you got to bring in like a cool guy, you know? You got to go to the other end of the spectrum. That's, I forget who it was. It was uh, uh, Michael Lombardi, I think, was talking about that. He's like, you know, you got guys, they come in. And, and, you know, they, they, they get the pool table out, you know, they, they move all this stuff out, get the ping pong table out of here, get the pool table out of here. We're not playing games. We're here to work. Right. And then the new guy comes in and they bring all the stuff back in here. Here's a pool table, you know, cause we're going to, we're going to relax. We're going to have fun. You know, it's just, it's a different culture shift. The point is though, despite the fact that this happens all the time in the NFL and, and we go through these life cycles, right. It was a little bit more relaxed. 
and it started to not work. It started to poison the locker room. The fact of the matter is Aaron Rodgers is not ready to move on. He's lived that for a decade. It's what he knows, and all his buddies know, and all his friends are getting shipped off, and he's having to sit here, and he just doesn't enjoy it anymore. It's not as enjoyable. All his friends are gone, and there's these guys just chirping in his ear about how we're going to do things differently around here, and you're not going to... It's like, dude, forget this. And yeah, he's mad. He's mad that, that, that Gutekunst and Murphy did that. You ruined a good thing. We had a good thing going here, and you ruined it. It's not that he was a, necessarily a big fan of Mike McCarthy. He's got all kinds of gripes with all kinds of people. But I do think there was a culture that is being shifted and that was completely washed away or is in the process of being washed away, and I think he's he's rebelling against it. And, and you know, again, the Packers are in a tough spot now because it looks like possibly some if some of the players start to leech onto it, you might be eroding some of your own team. If this is sort of a breaking point where, and, and this is the problem with Aaron Rodgers, you, if you're going to do something like this, you got to get buy-in from the quarterback. And if he's not buying in to the point of he's going to leave, it's going to fracture some stuff. Especially if if he leaves and maybe you got issues with Devontae and then the team doesn't start winning. You know, Again, winning fixes everything. If Jordan Love comes in and we go to the NFC Championship, all is well. Everything is right with the world. If we win four games this year, Amos ain't happy, Zadarius ain't happy, Preston ain't happy. Billy Turner ain't happy. Mercedes ain't happy. All these guys are like, you know what? I'm not into this anymore. I think I'm on my way out. Then there's just this whole stigma of nobody wants to play here, and it becomes kind of ugly. So this is a fragile situation. There's no question about it. But um, I think I think that's it. And and again, if that is the case, how do you remedy that? What do you do? Do you say, look, we're just going to loosen things up. We're going to tell them, don't worry, just relax a little bit. Stop being so strict in meetings and just kick back. No chance. We're not going back to that. And I don't even know how you institute that. Like, hey, we're just, just so you know, we're not going to care as much anymore. And uh, we're not going to pay attention to what you do. We're just going to, and that's really what it was. Everybody was left alone to trust that you're going to take care of your own business, right? Again, Mark Murphy wasn't paying attention. He trusted Ted was going to do his job. Murphy and Ted trusted Mike was doing his job. Mike trusted that his coaches were doing their job. And the the players were expected to, to, you know, you guys were trusting you guys to do your job. And shocker, shocker, things started to erode. Some guys, realizing there's no supervision, start taking some some shortcuts. It's natural human nature. Natural nature. The most natural of nature. So, anyways, again, thanks to Tyler for uh, brainstorming that one, because that, that really... Again, there's no guarantee that's what it is, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's that's 100%. And, and, and I, I, just, I shouldn't say it's 100% it like that encompasses all of his issues, because there's there's... Again, bigger issues than that, like he had issues with Mike McCarthy as well. But I, I just have no doubt that that is a, a big component as far as how this thing has been going for a while now. Part of what the frustration is, is this new regime change and the attitude change and the culture change. And he's just not buying it. He doesn't like it. It's too strict. It's too cutthroat. It's, it's not about people. It's not about taking care of people. It's about winning. And I'm really sorry. As a Packer fan, all I care about is winning. That's it. So yeah, I, I, I am going to, it doesn't mean treat people like garbage, do thing, do what you have to do as respectfully as you can, but do what you have to do. Absolutely do not keep people employed that are bad at their job. I don't want a defensive coordinator that is not doing his job well. I don't want a GM that's still employed that's not doing his job well. That's head coach, quarterback, wide receiver, anybody. If you're the guy, you're in. If you're not the guy, you're out. So... Anyways, I think I'm going to save that uh, that other thought for tomorrow because we're kind of running a little bit late and I want to be able to have a lot of time 
to discuss that other little question-y thing that came up. So anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>